to the Find A Way podcast, where we celebrate the remarkable journeys of immigrant entrepreneurs who have founded startups in North America. And we are your hosts, Beatrice Anatelli and Ingrid Polini. Join us as we dive deep into the personal stories of these inspiring individuals, exploring their challenges, triumphs, and the diverse range of innovative companies they have built. This is episode number 53, Intellectual Property, and today our guest is Siamak Riahi. Siamak is the founder and CEO of Riahi Patents, Inc. He has over 18 years of experience in research, development, and intellectual property. After spending about a decade in academia, he needed more challenges and decided to use his technical expertise in the intellectual property world. He started working for an IP search firm in the U.S. and started his own patent research business after a few years. After moving to Canada in 2018, he started working with startups, SMEs, and investors on IP strategy needs. Currently, the Riahi Patents team is working with startups that have secured government funding through the IRAP program to strategize their IP assets. Welcome, Siamak. Thank you so much, Vera. Thanks, Ingrid. Thanks for having me. And uh, I'm really glad that I'm the guest of this wonderful podcast and we with you. I know we were supposed to have the podcast four months ago, but due to some personal and family issues, we couldn't. But I'm glad that I'm here with you and excited about it. Uh, we're so happy to have you here. And you're one of our biggest champions, right? You brought us so many guests uh, over the months. It was great. So Thank you. Before we talk about your journey specifically, can you expand more um, about your business? So what exactly, I know it's pretty straightforward, but just for the people that don't understand patents that well in Canada, for example, what does it entail? What do you do? What do you help startups with? Absolutely. Absolutely. So our firm is doing intellectual property and intellectual property, as you know, as patents, trademarks, copyright, trade secrets, and so on and so forth. But for the most part, when people say hear intellectual property, they initially say patents. So what we help these startups with is securing patents or trademarks or copyright. But more important than that, we help them to have a strategy for their intellectual property. So diving into intellectual property or patents is not the way to go for a startup. Startups, typically, they need to have a strategy. What needs to be filed? What needs to be done? What are the priorities when it comes to intellectual property? Most important factor for a startup is when they're trying to raise money, going and talking to investors, no investor is going to invest in your idea of startup if they don't know that their funding or the money that investment that they're putting in is secured. So what if they wake up one day and they realize someone else is copying the same thing, the same idea, and there's no protection whatsoever. So there goes their entire investment of a couple million dollars. So typically having an intellectual property asset, which could be a patent, could be a trademark, could be a trade secret or copyright, prohibits others from copying that Therefore, the investment is secure and your idea could be implemented easily without worrying about others to copy that. So that's basically in a nutshell what we do and how we help these startups with. Um, Depending on which industry they're in, what they're doing, the importance of patent versus trademark versus copyright could be changed. Part of IP strategy would be how to prioritize these different assets and walk the startup founders or co-founders or CTOs through the entire process. 
When, um, just out of curiosity, Siamak, you're the expert in the business. When is the ideal time to actually look, um, you know, reach out to you and make sure that they have their IP strategy in place uh, for this, business? Thank you. Thanks. That's a fantastic question that we keep answering on a daily basis. The sooner, the better. And I cannot really emphasize on this, how important it is to act quickly. Sometimes um, startup founders or their technical team, they think that, I got to develop something. I got to have the MVP. I got to actually go into market and try to sell my product or service or something. No, that's the wrong time. When you have the idea, you got to look into and see what other people have done because you're so evolved in what you're doing. You don't really know who else has patented something similar. So you need to have a strategy. You need to have an expert whether that expert team is internal or external, that's debatable and it's on you. But you got to find out who else has worked on something similar at early stage to differentiate yourself from what they have done, if that's an option, or add features or inventiveness or novelty features to what you are doing, which separates you from your competitors. So waiting for a year, for two years, that's a long time. You got to do something at early stage. For example, these startups that you're currently talking to, some of them, they're very early stage. But since the founders or co-founders, they've had that experience and they are familiar with IP, they act very quickly as opposed to first-timers that they think, ah, let's wait, that's not important. Amazing. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, and looking back in your journey, Siamak, what were the main challenges you experienced in, in this current business of yours or in your entrepreneurial journey that you'd like to highlight for us? Um, being an immigrant and being an entrepreneur is really tough. I'm pretty sure whoever is listening to this and you ladies, I'm pretty sure you can relate to it more than anyone else. It's really hard. I've heard numerous times from Ingrid that how many Slack channels you sign up for, how many different groups you try to get into and learn um, about other people. There is an issue that there is no school or university which teaches you entrepreneurship. There are classes. There are so many books. You read them. But frankly, whether they make you a good entrepreneur or not, under a big question mark. And no one can say, I became an entrepreneur by reading those books or going to a boot camp of some sort. Being an immigrant is just another level of difficulty or hardship in front of you that prohibits you from doing certain things because you think that I don't really belong to this society. I don't know the hoops and loops. I need to go through those. I need to jump through those and find out. I'm not an exception myself, but to be honest with you, I'm a I'm an immigrant, twice immigrant. I immigrated to the U.S. first as a grad student, finished two degrees there. And once I immigrated to Canada, it was slightly easier for me because the language barrier was not there. I was bringing the business intellectual property here. Having said that, IP world was different in Canada compared to the U.S. And by different, it was primarily being handled and still being handled by big law firms that they do IP work here. It was some sort of a novel concept to say that I know the technical part and we're a technical slash IP company. That was one of the biggest challenges to teach people that are doing some sort of a tech work and convince them what you do. 
And that was one of the big challenges that I never thought after being an immigrant for 15 years when I moved to Canada as an entrepreneur, I need to go through that one more time. Um, definitely, I can say as an immigrant, you need to find a comfort zone and you need to find a mentor, which I did find quite a few good ones. Um, but I really don't like it when people say, go and talk to that person. You need to find who you're comfortable with, who you trust. And many of your guests, I've heard that they they were told, go and talk to someone or work with someone, but they didn't really find that um, trust value for the lack of a better term. And then they went and talked to some other people and those mentors, they definitely helped them. So I had those challenges, finding a good mentor, finding some role models, finding people that they can help you out in this country is important. But I have to tell you that you can have mentor or role model anywhere in the world and you can listen to them. Um, those are some of the obstacles in front of me. Um, and every single entrepreneur, immigrant entrepreneur I talk to, if I can provide any feedback or any recommendations, I always tell them that listen to your heart, but at the same time, use your brain. Uh, it's a balance between those two. It's up to you. You weigh it a little bit more, your heart or your brain at some points, but I'm pretty sure all of us, we can relate to that. Uh, and we've been there. I love what you said about mentors and it's something that we keep coming back. But one, one point that we haven't spoken yet that you said perfectly is that basically the best mentor might not be the best mentor for you or like someone that's big that like, it might not be the best mentor for you because you need to create that trust rapport. Um, I've been to so many experiences with founders that were trying to work with mentors. And then I like, it's simple things such as the mentor told them to do a specific thing. And I asked the founders like, do you know how to start this? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach you. So like sometimes even the communication aspect and when you add the cultural aspect of the immigrants of like maybe not feeling comfortable with speaking up, seeing a power imbalance with a mentor and saying like, I don't understand what you're talking about or like, I don't understand exactly. the terminology, right? So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of different aspects of it. I love that you brought this up. So based on a suggestion that we received before, we are asking our guests, our previous guests to leave a question for the next one. So the guest from the last episode left you the following question. Share an instance where a significant setback or failure or setback or failure provided an invaluable insight to your business. That's a hard one. No, that's actually a very good question. And I can provide you an answer um, about that. Um, what traditionally I have in mind to do for our business was do patent search. And we still do patent search. Patent search and analysis is really, really important. And traditionally, where I'm coming from is just getting that training. And what I was doing in the States was primarily doing patent search. And I thought that's going to bring value to the business in Canada. And that was really a really huge, huge obstacle in front of me because initially we tried to sell this patent search and convince people they need patent search. Patent search by itself is really valuable, but it needs some analysis to show companies what the analysis is. And more important than that, what IP strategy is. So I was sort of trapped in the entire mindset in what I was really good at and what made the company really great in the States to mimic and copy that in Canada. However, that became a teeny tiny or a 
part of or component of the services that we were supposed to uh, bring to the table here in Canada. That being said, it took me a while and I was constantly pushing on that and trying to sell that service, whether to the law firms, whether to the clients and all that. And this is like four and a half, five years ago. Took me a while to understand that this is an add-on or it's something that you need to teach people what it brings to the table before selling that service. It was really hard for me to understand that. And it was really hard for me to accept that. And that's something that many founders or entrepreneurs, they go through. You're so glued and married to your idea that you think if someone tells you, give up that, try to change it, add something else. Uh, We think that as if someone is insulting our loved ones or family member, and we try to push back and say, no, I know this better than you. I heard that comment and feedback from many people, including my own dad, who's been an entrepreneur and whatever I've learned from from him whatever I've learned for entrepreneurship has been probably for the most part from my own father. He also provided me a feedback that maybe you need to iterate things. Maybe you need to change it. You're working in a different country. You're trying to work with different group of people, which are startups, not well-established tech companies. And then that was that, um, you know, pivot or that was that uh, turning point uh, for me personally that I need to change my mindset but believe it or not, I was really stuck there for a while. And I'm pretty sure that happens with many entrepreneurs. They get stuck and someone needs to shake you and get you out of that zone or wherever you got stuck. I love that you're mentioning that, Simak, which also leads in part with um, our next question is that, but relating to your also your immigration journey, um, how have your experience shaped your views on the identity belonging and culture integration, not only as Siamak person, but Siamak business abroad? It's really amazing. Uh, and that's a really good question. Um, you know, many of our clients, I mean, um, I, I've spent about 22 years outside Iran, outside my own country. Like I've, I've lived here uh, in North America for the most part for 22 years. So definitely I've been, I've changed and I'm a slightly a different person than who I was probably 22 years ago. But um, part of you as a person, you belong to, as an immigrant, to belong to a new society. But certain parts, they stay the same way. For example, when we have Iranian clients, uh, we work, we speak in English, but part of me, when we want to communicate, we may speak Farsi and then... I'm still the same person. Looks like certain standards, they've changed based on um, North American standard and certain things when it comes to personality and all that. I'm still the same person who I was 22 years ago. Um, But business-wise, I can tell you that if you move to a new country, if you immigrate to a new country, and if you're an entrepreneur, your set of standards, they need to be exactly the same way as the country that you're living and working and doing business in. So you cannot really have a different set of standards when it comes to business. Your clients, they're not going to accept it. You need to have North American standards when you work with your clients. Um, From a personal perspective, you can be who you are, and they really welcome that. And that distinguishes you from probably the rest. If you're really a welcoming, warm person, they would really admire that. But um, I really value certain standards, business standards uh, in Canada that I think uh, 
every single entrepreneur who is doing business in Canada, and I speak for Canada at this point, they need to follow that. They need to have the set of standards, whatever is accepted in this country. Um, and you can't really go below that because that's going to look really bad on a, from a business perspective. That's uh, super curious. And I have like two questions in one for you here. The first one, because it's a question that we get from mentees all the time, all the time, which is well, from your experience um, living in the US and then living in Canada. And I know it's different environments. Academia is a whole other can of worms. Uh, but how has that been different for you? Because you lived a, a lot of time in the, in the US and a lot of time in Canada. And the second part of this question is, we talk a lot about the newcomer immigrants that come here and uh, have to adapt to the culture, but how that has impacted like in you, in your personal and professional life and your relationship towards your country and the people from your culture, right? I'll give you an example why I asked this. Um, I remember when I was much younger, I was like 15, uh, we were traveling through the US and someone that was Brazilian, we saw, I was 15, we, we're all, we don't have much of a much worldly experience then. And there was this girl and she was Brazilian and she said something in Portuguese, like, oh, I never, I've never seen Brazilian in this area. It's like a very remote part in the, in California. And then she's, she starts talking to us, but she says some English words. And then I turned to my mom later. I was like, why did she say words in English? Like we're speaking Portuguese. And now I do that because after six years here and like, you know, I speak English most of the time, I forget words. So kind of things like that, like how has that shaped your relationship with your country, your culture, even your family, right? Absolutely. Um, the difference between the U.S., I moved to the U.S. as a grad student. So I did a master's in civil engineering at the George Washington University at, in Washington, D.C. Then I followed with a Ph.D. And then I went to Michigan, moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and did a postdoc. So that was pretty much academic life uh, between 2001 till 2011 for a decade, actually. So All I knew was academia, academia in the U.S. Right after that, I joined an IP firm. Then I started my own business and I started living there. I'm really thankful. It definitely opened up my eyes as a grad student. I really enjoyed it. Then I started my own business. I really liked it. By choice, I decided to move to Canada. And that was different. And I can tell you something a little bit funny that uh, when I visited Canada prior to moving here permanently... Uh, every time I visited, I said, oh, you guys are like Americans. And I didn't really know that they don't really enjoy that. Uh, later on, when I moved here permanently, I realized oh, you probably should refrain from that. My experience in Canada has been different from the U.S. because I moved here as a permanent resident, as an entrepreneur. I brought the business with me. I was in my Actually, I was 40, 41, as opposed to that 23, 24-year-old guy. So um, there is an age difference, as you mentioned. There is different set of standards in how you immigrate and move to a country. Those are two different things. So experience-wise, they're different, but I enjoyed both. So I really enjoyed my time in the States. I really enjoyed whatever I did there, and I'm currently enjoying my life and all the experience and everything here. There are two different experiences, but equally, I, I like, love them and like them. When you go back to the second question that you brought it up, yes, you change over time. And I can definitely relate to that um, Brazilian girl who was 
trying to speak Portuguese, but just throwing English words. That happens. But I'm really careful when I'm dealing with um, Iranian community, although there are certain times that you're talking about technical matters, and you may throw English words. And culture-wise, if, if both parties, they've lived outside the country for a while, they know that you're not really trying to show off or anything in that nature. But I think you got to be very careful Sometimes people of your own type, if you act in a certain way, they may take it the wrong way and they say, oh, you're acting Canadian, you're acting American, you're acting German. Oh, he was a little bit standoffish when it came to your his own type. Uh, I try to avoid that. I try to um, be friendly. I try to, even if there's a room or if it's the two of us, I speak Farsi to potential client or whoever is my own country, or if I meet them outside and they, I hear they're speaking Farsi, I try to say something to them. But it's something that you cannot really avoid. And uh, after many years, you adopt a new culture um, and you try to be the same person. But believe it or not, we are not the same person. I'm not even the same person who I was 10 minutes ago, right? Let alone 20 um, to 23 years ago. You change, but you try to be the same person with good qualities and better standards. So that's something that I keep telling myself and I try to practice that. Whether I'm successful or not, I don't really know. <laughs> and that's, you, you just um, made me want to uh, explore a little bit more on that end. How do you stay connected with your home country and your culture? Well, um, over the past four months, I've been traveling a lot because um, something happened to my dad. He hit his head. He had a hematoma. He had a surgery. So I keep going back and forth. But um, I have, I still have many friends, uh, whether they're inside or outside. Believe it or not, we have many, many clients uh, that there are Persians, there are Iranians. And believe it or not, um, the fact that I chose to put my last name on the company's name as Riyahi Patents, that sometimes triggers something. They say who the owner is, who this person is. And Vivek, our CTO here, that you're, you know her, uh, sometimes there are clients and they say, Riyahi, oh, is it the Iranian name? How do you know him? And he says, yeah, the founder is Iranian. He, he's not here in um, Waterloo. But uh, that starts so many conversations. And many of our clients, actually, they saw the name, they relate to it, they realize, oh, this person is also Iranian. But that's how I keep up. And to be honest with you, I'm still connected to the community as much as I can. Uh, just do not forget that when you're at the university, college, grad school, you are connected because there's a huge group of community of people. But when you graduate and you're working, uh, you are within your circle of friends and whoever you know, and you may meet new people based on that circle. So, But uh, our clients are a good source of me connecting with uh, Iranian community here. So. I've been really fortunate for that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so you talked, you, you went back to the grad school and I just want to pull one more question out of you on that experience. Sure. Um, Cause I think it's, it's a common thing that happens now. So if you were to give a tip for one, two, three, however many you think for someone that spent like a decade in academia that did their PhD, that did their, you know, where this question is going, that did their postdoc and wanted to go for entrepreneurship now, what were those tips be or what are the pitfalls that they should watch for? 
Yeah. As far as the entrepreneurship goes, you got to have something in you. And honestly, I don't know how to describe this. I grew up in a house. My dad is an entrepreneur. We grew up, me and my sister saw, we saw our dad. We saw him being an entrepreneur. And ironically, I know this sounds really, really funny. I was about 10 that I realized not necessarily everybody's father is an entrepreneur. And it sounds really, really stupid. But then for a while, I thought that's everybody's dad or mom or they do that. But then if you grow up in that environment, you may adopt it. But I have to tell you that not necessarily everyone growing up in that environment will adopt that. For example, I watched our dad working weekends, working odd hours, running the business and all that. Uh, some people see that and they really, really hate it. And they say, this is not the life that I'm going to sign up for. I saw that without even knowing, I realized, oh, this is cool. Growing up, I realized uh, immediately that I cannot work for other people. I cannot. And you've heard that from many entrepreneurs. You want to get things done your own way. And it ends up being either my way or highway, which is not a good thing. But then you realize if I could, I would have done it this way. Therefore, maybe I want to do it my way. So entrepreneurship is something that you have it in you. It's something that you don't really wake up one day and say, I want to be an entrepreneur. There's an itch. There's an itch. Definitely there's an itch. You go back to be an employee. Halfway through that process, you realize I can't do it. But there's a there, there's, there's something that they need to watch for, actually, that do not be glued to your ideas. Do not be married to those ideas. Please listen to other people. I'm going back to what I said earlier. Uh, sometimes some of the ideas that you have, they're really fantastic, but how do you know that they are practical? How do you know that you can implement that? Often we may get into a place that we burn money, we burn time, and we get really tired. And that will kill uh, the entire entrepreneurship ego that we have in ourselves. I know many entrepreneurs entrepreneurs that they had that uh, itch, but they went to the wrong direction and they killed that. And then they're scared of being an entrepreneur and they're scared of entrepreneurship. So listen, 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 get help from your family members, from mentors, whoever you trust. But just be careful. Since you think it's a novel idea, it doesn't mean it's a novel and cute idea and it's going to work. So that's the entire rabbit hole that all of us feel very vulnerable to get into. So try to avoid that. I love that. I was just going to say, and I don't know if you agree with me, but uh, one thing that I always ask um, people that came out of academia to entrepreneurship to keep in mind is research is important, but it's not just everything in the sense that you can have a lot of people from academia that have perfectionism because you have to be in order to, you know, like uh, publish articles and all that, but they come to the market and they was like, no, 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 but if only I do a 80 page business plan and I pour all the data from the database, like, yes, but have you talked to the customer? Have you actually sat down with 10 people that might be your ICP, your, um, your ideal customer profile, for those of you who don't know the acronym, um, you know, have you sat down with them and asked them? Like it's, it's a small thing. So like the research part is also, yes, like don't, don't think that just yours is a novel idea and get out there and ask people that would actually use this to see, because there were cases where people were working in platforms for like two, three years that worked great and solved the problem, but no one was willing to pay for it. Right. Um, Absolutely. Do you agree with that research part? <laughs> Absolutely. The truth is, uh, 
The truth is when you're in academia and people, please don't get me wrong. I've been on both sides. So I know a thing or two about both. Um, research is really valuable and you're doing research. Um, not that you have unlimited time, but often when you're running a business, clock is ticking, execution matters. So no matter what you've planned, no matter how much research you've done, as um, Ingrid mentioned, you need to execute. And then during the execution, you realize how well it's going to work out. You find out the shortcomings, you find out the flaws and all that. So, and you get a feedback, you put it into account and consideration, iterate, go back to square one sometimes, and you may change the entire thing. Not that it doesn't really happen in academia, but sometimes when you are an entrepreneur, you have limited resources, whether it's time, whether it's funding, whether it's money, whether it's your personal resources, you got to take those into consideration as well. So research is important, as you mentioned, very valuable, but at the same time, you got to realize that running a business and being an entrepreneur is slightly different and you need to also uh, take so many different factors into account when you want to be an entrepreneur. So it's not really one or two things. Agreed. Thank you for, for your inputs on that. Um, Siamak, what is success to you? A very good question. Had you asked this question 10 years ago, I would have provided you a different answer, but I am from a personal and professional perspective. I'm in a different place these days. Success could have been something making more money probably 15, 20 years ago. But as an entrepreneur, you get to a point that success is something that um, you, you get to a point that when people talk about you, they remember great values of what you've done for them, for the business, for the employee. May I add a real story? Recently, we realized something about our own dad, and that was an alarming thing to me and my sister. When he was at hospital and he was at the ICU unit for 27 days, people came and talked to us and they brought so many things to our attention. We didn't know our dad has done so much for people from business perspective, personal perspective, you name it. Some employees, they showed up at the door, they started to cry. And me and my sister, we tried to calm them down. Some people could have looked at it and thought that they are the children we are the employees, which was the other way around. So you get to a point in life that whatever you do as an entrepreneur, and it may sound really cliche, but believe me, I'm at a point in life that I believe in that. You get to a point that you say, whatever I do for business, 10 years from now, I want people to remember me that I made a huge change, made a huge difference, and I did some good for society, for people working with me and around me. That's something that I consider success. And let's talk in 10 years and see if I still believe in that or not. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Um, I know how important informing your relationship with your dad was. And I think that seeing that as an entrepreneur uh, has like moved a lot of things for you as well and seeing the impact that he has. So he's still like in your, uh, I don't know if you're still in your forties, but like later in life, he's still teaching you about entrepreneurship and teaching you about the next steps. And I love that. It is. I mean, believe it or not, a day or two prior to his incident, he still tells me, he still told me certain things about business. And I was still amazed and surprised. How come a person who lives 
100,000 kilometers away, <laughs> he can still, he's got the vision. He doesn't really live here, but from a business perspective, he's got the vision. And um, yes, I'm in my 40s. And um, that's something that still to this day, I think no matter how old you are and how, no matter how well you know the business, you still need mentor. You still need mentorship. You still need people that you need to listen to. You may take certain things with a grain of salt and pepper, but still listen to them. It doesn't matter. I'm successful. I've done this for 10 years. Yes. But believe me, a junior person can come and shed light on it. And then you learn from them and you take that and the business will go to the next step. I still believe in that. I believe in that a thousand percent. Like it's one thing that before we go to the next question, uh, it's one thing that for me, like we have, whenever someone new enters our team, I say like, look at the platform, test it out and tell me what your feedback is because of getting fresh eyes. And it can be an intern or it can be a, like a, a person that is like higher level manager. Always like, it's like fresh perspective. It's like, and everyone might have a different perspective. They can always teach you something because one thing that, I've learned throughout this journey and I started entrepreneurship very young, which was, I don't know everything and I can't know everything. So who are the people that can teach me something about this so I can develop this business better? Right. So it goes right to the point. I love that. So a question not related to that, but a bit more out there. Um, if you could choose a superpower, what would that be and why? Huh? Nice question. I never thought about it. Like many other people, I wanted to predict future. <laughs> but that being said, it's very, very scary. I think as an entrepreneur, we are really, really lucky that we don't know what's going to happen to us the next day. Because if we knew, we would have been so scared that we would have never, never taken any action as an entrepreneur. But um, joke aside, if there was a superpower... Um, I don't know. It's a very interesting question. I would, I would, I would pick a power that I could support startups um, in any way that I could have done because we work with startups, and every day it's a little bit heartbreaking to see there are many good startups that they're suffering, particularly financially. And if someone can give them a little bit of push, believe me they would be really successful. If I could have some sort of a superpower, I would help these startups. Uh, I, I would still need to vet some of them out though, but I would help many of them. Every day I run into a founder or co-founder and I realize that they deserve, they deserve to get that extra push in order to go to the next level. I would have picked that superpower to financially help many startups, honestly. I love that. Um, Thank you for that, Siamak. Uh, we're going to move into some rapid fire questions. Um, sure. We're going to give you two options and then you pick whatever uh, is more your profile, your, your style. <laughs> awesome. First one is Android or iOS? iOS. <laughs> uh, camping or luxury hotel? Really depends. I would go with camping. Dance? A true West Coaster. A true West Coaster. <laughs> Uh, dancing or singing? Oh, dancing. I really suck at singing. Believe me, I don't have the voice and it's not a surprise. <laughs> and I'm not good at dancing though, but I pick dancing over singing. Uh, introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. 
Perfect. Awesome. Thank you for that. Um, and also, we, I, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Uh, we love getting book tips. We have Ingrid, which is the major bookworm. I a little bit behind on the amount of books I read uh, comparing to her, but I also love a really good book recommendation. Would you um, be willing to share any books that you think would be Absolutely. good? <laughs> Absolutely. I have, actually, I have three options and I'm going to go okay. over them really quickly. And believe it or not, they all cover us as an immigrant. The first one is Alchemist by, De pa by Paulo Coelho, Brazilian author. I read it numerous times and many of the things that he has written in the book, they have happened to me in my life. Um, ironically, many of things. And I really love that book. The second one is uh, Funny in Farsi, written by Firuza Duma, a Persian-American-Iranian writer. Funny in Farsi is a really fun uh, slash sarcastic book about an immigrant, young immigrant. And there's another book that followed up by that, that uh, Laughing Without an Accent, uh, again, by Firuza Duma. Those books for immigrants, those are really valuable. And it goes through many of the challenges that we, we've gone through and we still go through on a daily basis from language barrier, cultural barrier, you name it. The third one is Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And I really love that. And ironically, he lives between uh, Vancouver and California, I think, these days. So I covered Brazil, Iran, and Vancouver uh, with three books. So those are three books that I recommend. I'm pretty sure many of your listeners, they probably already read all of them. But I, those are my go-back books whenever I feel like reading something interesting. I love that. Those are amazing. The I have never heard about the two, the funny and farcy that you recommended. I'm get, definitely going to check that out. Um, before we close the episode, and we could continue talking for another two hours because I think I have so much to uh, to bring to the table. Uh, what would be a question that you would like to ask our next guest? I thought about it, and I have two questions, but they can be combined in one question. As an entrepreneur, would they do the same and? go through the same path as an entrepreneur, what they regret about it as an immigrant, would they immigrate to a new country if they go back and what they regret about it? Because all of us, for one reason or a couple of different reasons, we immigrated, we became an entrepreneur. But what are the things they regret about it? Because we still have regrets as an immigrant. We still have regrets about as an entrepreneur. What are those regrets that they have? Um, those are two questions that can be combined in one question. And I'm particularly looking for the regrets. <laughs> I love that. Uh, it's so important for us to share the challenges, the regrets and all that, because that's the things that we might teach the people that haven't gone through them yet, right? Like if we can if we can avoid other people to go through the same thing. But thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. It was amazing having you here. Thank you so much, ladies. It was a pleasure. And as you say in Portuguese, obrigado. <laughs> this was our episode 53, Intellectual Property with Siama Kiriahi. We'd like to thank all of our listeners and would like to remind you that we'll be posting one episode a week, always with a different guest. So make sure to subscribe to your favorite streaming platform.